Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, stories by leaders for leaders to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. Well, here we are again. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. And this series is called The Nonprofit Exchange. You can find us anywhere you get a podcast. Just put in The Nonprofit Exchange. You can find the webpage by going to thenonprofitexchange.org. That's T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org, leadership tools and strategies. And we have all kinds of fascinating people that are on part of this interview series. Almost 300 were about there. And today's interview is no exception. Kel Haney is coming to us today uh, with a funding hat. And her title is Take the Ick Out of the Ask. So before we get into this icky stuff, let's talk to, let Kel Haney tell us about herself. Tell people who you are and why do you do this work that you do? Sure. Thank you so much, Hugh. I'm so excited to be here today. Um, so yeah, as Hugh said, my name is Kel Haney. I'm an outbound fundraising expert. Um, and what I do is basically coach people in how to fundraise and fundraise in a way that feels comfortable and authentic to who each of us are as individuals. Um, and I do it because I love it. <laughs> I'll start there. Um, and I, um, in my early 20s, I actually come from a background as a theater director. So um, I've got an artist background and I needed to support myself in some way as a theater director in my 20s in New York City. So I started to fundraise over the phone for my favorite not-for-profit theater. And go figure, within about a decade, I accrued my 10,000 hours plus on the phone making fundraising asks over the phone. In that time, I raised between six and $7 million, mostly in gifts under $2,000. So it was more quote unquote, smaller donations. Um, and I really love it. And so then from there, I ended up working as a consultant and it became this parallel career as I was still working on my directing careers. I helped other organizations uh, start their own fundraising call rooms, quote unquote, and also started to consult more. And then the pandemic hit and I ended up going to full-time fundraising in a way that I never anticipated it would happen. And I'm finding myself um, artistically fulfilled and living a life that I hadn't expected. Um, instead of pounding the pavement as a theater director, I'm now imparting my knowledge and experience onto a whole bunch of other people and helping them empower themselves as, as they learn to be stronger, more confident fundraisers. I love it. Now, um, when you filled out our form about the interview, I said, what is the message that you want to share with people? And I'm going to read this because I think it's just really great. Cool. I'm planning to share my thoughts on how to make a fundraising ask over the phone. I've developed a four-step method that creates the arc of the phone call. My methodology empowers fundraisers to have genuine, personalized relationship building interactions, all without a script. Now, in there, we talked about relationships, and I have... Uh, professional fundraisers watching this mm -hmm. and they always emphasize it's relationship leadership is mm -hmm. built on relationship communications built on relationship and 
any kind of funding it's built on a relationship so the phone is impersonal so unpack that a little bit the relationship and the phone call yeah well i think there's a little bit of anonymity that actually is helpful in some ways towards these asks like we i find that sometimes asking for these gifts over the phone even if it's that this these are individuals that already have a very strong relationship with the organization particularly with leadership or the development department sometimes actually talking to a person they don't know on the phone we learn more things or different things than they're necessarily going to share face to face with someone they already have a relationship just kind of wild, but happens all the time. And so I'm always encouraging that whatever happens on those calls to make sure that that information is documented in your org CRM, just to continue to grow that relationship and make sure that whomever else is talking to that person has whatever new information you just learned, get a great story about, you know, how they actually love music and that their grandmother took them to the symphony as a child in a way that you never knew, or that they've got a child who is um, an actor that we didn't know about, or we find out they were on a board we didn't anticipate. There's all sorts of information that um, we think we should be able to get in terms of just uh, more standard for forms of uh, research building, but actually that qualitative research that happens on the phones is, is really valuable. And I know it sounds kind of crazy, but seriously, that anonymity of having a little bit of distance with someone actually sometimes makes that moment of the call actually feel a little bit more intimate. It's wild. That's well, no, it does make sense, and it's not it's not intuitive. Mm -hmm. One would not make that yeah. that judgment offhanded unless you've you've certainly put in the hours and you know what you're talking about. So we we hate to pick up the phone. I'm speaking we nonprofit leaders. We hate. Uh -huh. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Make that call. Why do we why do we hate that? Because it's vulnerable. Because it's so vulnerable. There's something about the action. And just like that, there's no other pretense. We're not even having a meal. I'm just making the call. Um, and I think, and I think it's for different people. I think as we as a culture move away from having phone conversations that becomes intimate in a way that it wasn't 10, 20, 40 years ago in a way that it is now. Um, but I think that intimacy can be really useful. And I think there's something a little archaic also about picking up the phone. But again, that leads to another level of intimacy. I can't tell you how many people um, I train as fun, you know, as fundraisers to make these calls over the phone that talk to potential donors who say, I can't tell you the last time I had a phone call or a phone call that that was this good, um, that felt like this comfortable. So it's, it is, it is, it's, it's the vulnerability that, that is challenging. Absolutely. Now, fundraisers talk about different stages. There's the cultivation, you know, the, you know, the professional fundraiser. Mm -hmm. So are there different points in that process where you make phone calls or is it just for the ask or is there cultivation getting acquainted? And then there's the, of course, there's the follow-up process. Sure. I mean, yes. Um, you know, it depends on the client with whom I'm working personally. I really believe there's a way to, in the same conversation, have a cover cultivation and also make an ask um, if it's feeling right, like if that's where the conversation is headed. And if the conversation isn't headed there, and I can walk you through this a little bit more, more specifically, but I think there's a way to make a softer ask or just let them know, let the potential donor know what's happening at the org 
and see if that opens them up to more questions, um, to more interests in terms of actionable items right now. So I think it can be both. And I think that's the hardest, um, that's kind of the hardest obstacle I'm finding in my work right now is kind of breaking through that more standard way of seeing things. Like you said, of like, here's, you know, the method that we follow and that it's, you know, starts with cultivation. And then ultimately at a different time, we get to the ask. And I really think there's a way to do both in a call and to train people to be able to follow what's happening with the potential donor to see what they're game for, for the day. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. So I teased people with your little, your statement that you put in. It was very sure. brief. To the point. I've developed a four-step method that creates the arc of the call. Mm -hmm. Unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a really visual person. Again, I'm coming from a background as a theater director. So I really use a lot of methodology that's similar to how I ran a rehearsal room. And I think it really is about each of us figuring out, like I said, what makes each of us unique. And so I'm giving some quote unquote tent poles. So what I imagine in my head is that there's a tent that is this conversation in this case that we're talking about, Hugh, this phone conversation, potentially towards an ask and that there's four different tent poles. And so the idea is that if you know these four points that you're hitting on the call, it gives you space to go on what I call our tributaries with the person on the phone. So if, as you start to talk to each other, for instance, I'm you know on this island outside of Portland, Maine, it is gorgeous today. It's almost 50 degrees, which might as well be summer as far as we're concerned. And it's stunning. So if you and I were on the call and we started to talk about, oh, it's actually really rainy where I am right now. And we had a little bit of a back and forth, like it's fine to go with the flow of that tributary because I know where I'm going to bring the call to next. Uh, so that's that's the four temples. And I can walk you through what the four of them are. Um, part of the reason I don't use a script or don't encourage a script is because we you know, as individuals are, have, are bombarded by so much all the time, we know when someone is being inauthentic with us. And so every step of this process, right. Um, I'm trying to figure out how can we be as authentic as fundraisers as possible? Guess what? That takes vulnerability. That's about not being perfect. And obviously we're all so, invested in this idea of I'm trying to be as perfect. I'm trying to get my armor as like tight and take care of myself as possible, but actually being more free wielding, being a little messier, being a little bit more ourselves, a little bit less formal is what allows someone to connect with us and for them to put down um, their, their armor as well and actually have a genuine conversation. You know, it's so liberating um, as a keynote speaker early on, I had a script and then I had notes and I would put them all over the floor and know what comes next. And then I would have PowerPoints and I would depend on that. Yeah. I finally eliminated all of those. And I talked to people and that was so liberating for me. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you can tell, I can tell when somebody's on the phone and they're reading a script, either yes. from a piece of paper or on the back of their eyelids. They've memorized. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. And when, when I work with choirs as a core conductor and they get rid of the sheet music, Oh, it's a whole nother dimension. So part of it is insecurity. We want to make sure we mm -hmm. say the right, the right order. So there's a rehearsal part of this in there. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And I mean, I think while I say that I have, you know, I don't train with a script, I think people can have notes and, you know, and like you said, like go on the journey that you're on. So if you need your own notes in front of you to get started, 
um, that's fine. But I think it's better if that's actually generated by the individual fundraiser, as opposed to me saying, here's exactly how you should say this, because it's better if it sounds like you, Hugh, or, you know, whomever else, you know, is watching. It's better if we're using our own vernacular, or I like to say for me, my own collexicon, you know, whatever the words are that you use that feel right um, is, is a really good way to start. So people want to want to use silly excuses. Oh, you're an actress. You're on the stage. You're a conductor. Yeah. You got the presence. No, it's authentic. Just what you said, authentic to you. So talk about your tent and those, those four. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'll go through the four of them. And then if we want to break them down a little bit more, I'm happy to do that. So the first one is the first 15 seconds of the call, which is definitely the most important. So um, tentpole one, first 15 seconds. And that's the part of the call that actually will be the most rehearsed and that I have the most like directive tips to help you in the first 15 seconds. Uh, second comes what I call the main event. And so this is the moment when you're inviting that person in to talk about your organization and you're sharing with them the updates and what is going on right now with your org. And of course, one of the things going on that's always going on with our organizations is we're fundraising. So that makes it actually a really easy kind of bridge into number three, which is the actual ask of the call. But the way I train, the whole idea is that I want you to just be in that conversation. So you almost don't even realize you're to the place of the ask. And that that I, I try to avoid any kind of odd transition or pivot into the ask. It should feel like the rest of the call. So I can break that down further. And then the fourth is, you know, wrapping up. So obviously anything logistical that you need in terms of your org, if they are making a gift and figuring out if it's a pledge, if it's now, um, and making sure you get all of the administrative information to help your organization be able to follow through with this gift, but also to make sure you're setting up what's your next touch point of connection and communication with this person, whether they agree to a donation or not. I think it's always about, I'm always looking at how are we building this as a larger relationship for me, it's never about the specific uh, transaction of the call. It's really about using this moment to build that relationship stronger and more clear. And so I'm always looking at whenever we hang up the phone, setting up what's the next point of contact when this person should expect to hear from us again. So um, let's do unpack those. So if, if you're if you're listening mm -hmm. to this on your smartphone as a podcast, and you're hyperventilating because you just got a big data dump, don't worry. Go to thenonprofitexchange.org and that page, there's a click a button to click and you can go to the archives and you can find the one that's titled, Take the Ick Out of the Ask. You'll not only find the recording, but you'll find a transcription that has these four steps in it. So before you panic and say, oh, I didn't get it, know that you can get it. So okay. we're going to go in a deeper dive here. And we, I think we have enough time to do this. So let's do it. This is the, the meat of what's really important. And I want to then after you do those, I want to go to the ick thing. Why is it? Mm -hmm. but give us the deep dive first. Okay, a bit of a deep dive. So number one, that first 15 seconds. Uh, so again, we exist in a culture where we are getting robocalls, spam calls, people calling us um, from different time zones who have nothing to do with the organization that we're calling from. So the whole idea is that immediately is to get in there and let this person know exactly why you're calling. So what I encourage is as opposed to having like we would in our regular life, a little bit of extra pleasantries of me first asking, hi, am I speaking with you? Hi, Q, my name's Kel. I'm calling from the nonprofit exchange. How are you today? 
and giving that space. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call and I'm going to say, hi, Hugh, my name is Kel Haney. Um, I'm actually a consultant working with a nonprofit exchange. So random that I'm calling you today, I know, but I'm touching base because we're on our fundraiser right now and you've been involved in the past and we wanted to let you know what was going on right now. Um, but first and foremost, how are you doing? I see that, you know, you're in Virginia right now. Um, it's gorgeous in Maine. What's it like there? So, you know, I'm, I'm immediately going into, you're learning a lot really fast and it is a little bit bombarding, but that's actually, I think, important for the transparency of the call that I'm saying immediately who I am, my connection directly to the org, your as the potential, their as the potential donor, their connection to the org, and also giving them a sense of why I'm calling. Like, I want to give them an update. We'd love to get them more involved. And so I'm, I'm starting from there. So that's the, that's number one. Go for it, Hugh. Go for it. Yes, that's good. That's great. I could do that. Yeah. Right. And that, and that is okay. If it's a little bit of a script, like I really do encourage um, the people that I coach to focus on that first 15 seconds and just come out because there's so much, it's like that Malcolm Gladwell, like blank, like split second impression. It's better to come out and just share it all and have that person be say, Oh, wow. Hi, Kel. I didn't expect that you were calling. I thought that this, I saw this number and I thought it was my doctor and I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm just calling you from the nonprofit exchange. And you know, here's why I'm touching base today. And so I'm humanizing myself. You know, I'm like sharing that I'm, I am a human. I am a professional fundraiser. Um, hopefully everything that we're all fundraising for are things that we're personally passionate about. So we're sharing our connection and our connection from the get-go. So if you had a musician calling for an orchestra, you'd say, I'm actually a violinist in, you know, I'm second violinist or whatnot, like be as specific as possible about your connection to the org right off the bat. I can see your background as a theater director coming out here. You're yeah. as a director of, you know, I, I, we enable other people to raise the bar on their own performance. Mm -hmm. I also want to note that something I think is important. I can see that you're smiling, but if you're on the phone, I could tell that you're smiling. So there's a whole demeanor about your presence. Yes. Yeah. It's all connected. I mean, when I first started to fundraise and I was competitive with somebody else in the room, I would stand. It just felt really good to stand. And sometimes I still, you know, I, I don't actually make these calls myself anymore, but when I would need to invigorate myself, I'd stand for a while. I had an exercise ball I sat in. So I think back to your point originally about, you know, nonprofit leaders uh, not liking to make these calls. I also, it's a bit of my own tributary at the moment. I would encourage, I'd encourage to figure out where in your, in your workspace feels comfortable like go someplace else to make the calls. It doesn't have to be right at your desk, like sit and look out a window, have your cup of coffee or your tea and, and treat yourself to being like, I'm doing something a little more vulnerable than I'm usually doing. And I'm going to change my environment a little bit um, in order to shake it up to be able to make these calls. That's not one of the four tent poles, but it's definitely another good tip, I think, when we have to make these calls. Love it. So we got number one, right? Okay. So we're on the two. Number two um, is uh, you, this is the main event. And so this is when we're sharing what's going on with the org. So this is something that I, I'd encourage you to think about a fair amount before you start to make these calls of like, what's, what's you know, again, I'm coming from a theater background, but we can all do this is what's the 
er the arc of specifically the narrative of what we want to share um, on this particular call. So like what's happening at your organization? This is a good moment. Um, I'm always looking to make something be an event. So what what's happening? Did you just start this particular fundraiser? Are you in the middle of it? Like dead in the middle of it? Like we need some extra momentum to get us like over the hump. We're almost halfway there. Are you in the last 10%, 20%? Um, it's really good in this moment to share as many specific facts as possible. People want to want to be involved. So the more that we can share of like, we're trying to raise $100,000 as part of our end of our fiscal year, which ends June 30th. And wherever you are on that, we just started or we're doing great. We actually have 20,000 to go. And I'm personally trying to bring in $10,000 $10, this week alone. The more we can get um, specific with our given circumstances, the better. So, and people love a silver lining. So telling them things, um, if you're involved with an organization and there's something that people can um, benefit from, whether that's like, oh, you can come to this particular event. We're going, we're actually back in person now. Um, would love to have you on April 25th, come see this live event that we're having, or we've got this new material online. We'd love for you to check it out on your own. So it's a moment to say, here's some great things that are happening. And so I would start with that. And then from there, I'd go into, and we're on our end of the year fundraiser. And so then I start to share the information specifically about where we are on the fundraiser. It's also, and I'm throwing a lot of information out at us very quickly, but it's also really great uh, if you can craft um, a challenge grant. I find that that is really helpful on these calls to be able to say, you know, we have a donor who is matching every gift, you know, up to $1,000, you know, totaling $20,000 or whatnot. I find I'm always looking for how can I make the fundraising space more equitable and that idea of connecting donors who, you know, are donating and obviously it's all scalable, but, you know, a larger gift to the organization, to the um, donors who are bringing in smaller gifts, how to connect those two groups, I always think is really important. And it's fun because if somebody, I am sure you've had this hue when people apologize for what they're able to donate. Um, and it says, no, thank you. Thank you for the gift. And, and I really do truly know that sometimes somebody making a gift of $25,000 is shifting their budget for the next month or two versus somebody who's giving $25,000 who doesn't ever have to think about it again. So it's, it's not about the actual monetary amount. It's about you know, it, it's about what's behind that and about the gesture. So I'm always trying to find a way to connect those two things. So, yeah. So I want to clarify assumptions. You're calling a person that's that we know or we that knows us. So they know about the organization. And then when you say a fundraiser, um, there's some context around that. So mm -hmm. you're talking to somebody that is aware of what you do and that you have been raising money. So it's not just a cold, this is not a cold call. Good question. Um, I don't think that pure cold calls work. There's just so much ground to cover. That being said, frequently we do need to remind this person how they're connected. So for instance, you know, I work with a lot of arts organizations um, uh, or, you know, I'm curious about like experiential not-for-profits of like have had some kind of experience with that particular org. So we may call somebody who's, you know, come to our arboretum if we're a not-for-profit arboretum and they've come, but they don't necessarily remember. But I know that last October, 
they came to visit us. So that would be part of like that first 15 seconds of saying, I don't know if you remember this, Hugh, but you actually came and visited our Arboretum last October. I think there were four of you. Um, I actually remember that weekend because it was gorgeous and I love that you were here. So like, first and foremost, I want to hear how it went, like how you enjoyed your experience with us and also what brought you here in the first place. So curiosity, I haven't mentioned that yet in our conversation. Curiosity is really key. The two curiosity and candor, I think are like two good C words to put in place of that old icky idea of always be closing. I don't think like that. I think about how can I always be candid and how can I always be curious? So um, this is so key to relating to the person. This is just very inspiring. So you need to know who they are and know something about them because there's always a danger that somebody, especially somebody with high net worth, feels like they're being treated like an ATM machine. Yeah. And you've just presented the opposite of that. So thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. All right, that's so two you, out of four. We're halfway. Two left. out of four. We're getting there. And these two are actually, the last two are actually quicker and easier, if you can believe it. So if I'm calling you and I'm telling you what's going on uh, right now at our organization, and I'm also trying to invite you in because the idea is that it's not just about the donation. It's again, how are we growing the unity? I don't, we just, we don't just want people, like you said, to be ATM machines. We want people to be active, positive members of our community and actually involved with what we're doing. So I'm sharing what's happening. Maybe share if we've got it. The silver lining of right now is we have this one-to-one challenge match. We're trying to raise $10,000 by the end of this month. Um, I'm personally trying to raise five of it. Who knows what that is? Um, So I thought I would check in and just see, and this is a good moment um, if you know um, anything about their giving history, but you know, that's how you're also crafting your ask, right? So I could say, Hugh, I know in the past you were great and you've done a gift of $5,000. Given that we've got, you know, this goal for the end of the month, I'm going to shoot for the moon and see if there's a way you would do 6,000 this year. It would be matched as part of this matching grant. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to see if $6,000 was in the realm of possibility for you. And then I'm going to hold for the silence. That's a key point right there. (laughs) Yeah. It's my favorite part. We rev up and then, then, and and I wouldn't say, and I don't, I really work to never put someone on the spot. So I'm not going to say, can you do it or not? I'm going to say, how does that sound? Is that within the realm of possibility so far? Like, what do you think? I'm going to make it more from a place that's open-ended and curious because I don't ever want to put someone on the spot. I want to be like, here's what we could use. Here's why. Here's particularly where we are on our fundraising journey at the moment. And what do you think? Is that possible? And so I'm just truly leaving it open. And sometimes on the phone, people do say, hello, Kel, are you still there? And I'd say, absolutely, Hugh. I'm just taking a breath, taking a sip of my coffee and just waiting to hear what you think. Like, what's your initial impulse on all of this? That's when three seconds feels like an eternity. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know, maybe I think it's fun. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to just, and I, I think it's to this point, Hugh, of like investing in the relationship, investing in the phone call, but not investing in the outcome. Cause that's what we have no control over. Yes. Yes. We can control how we present ourselves in the call. We can control that we are leading from a place that is candid and authentic and passionate and specific 
um, and vulnerable and actively listening to the other person and hoping our brains move fast and we can offer them the thing that feels right to them in the particular moment. But we can't control what actually happens, no matter how good you are as a fundraiser. We can't, and we don't want to like strong arm people. You know what I mean? We want people to feel good about their donations. Like I'm not in it in any way, shape or form for like a, a hard sell. It's really from a place of what do you think and giving them space. So we just got into the third tent pole and it doesn't even feel like it because we started from talking about the involvement. We started talking about everything that's going on in the org. Part of what's going on in the org is that we're fundraising. And here's where we are in our fundraising ask right now. And I know you did this in the past. I'm going to shoot for the moon, see if you can do this. What do you think? So you get to that place of holding the silence in the third tent pole without even necessarily realizing you got there. So the whole idea is that there's never that hard pivot or transition to the ask moment. It's all, it's all in, intertwined with one another. And drum roll, please. Number four. And then number four. So this is closing. This is just setting up, you know, obviously... I, I don't know about you all, but when I'm in fundraising mode, like all of my administrative thoughts, like kind of go out of my head. So I have to take a moment. Like if somebody says, yes, I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to be very like genuine and authentic and vulnerable and say, this is awesome. I'm so glad you're doing this. You thank you so much for this gift. You're bringing us this much closer to our goal. Okay. Now I'm going to take a deep breath and we're going to go over the logistics. It's a great moment to make sure you have all of the correct contact info for this person. So many people have shifted their primary residences during the pandemic. Make sure you have the right address for them. Make sure you've got the right email. Obviously this phone number works. Is there another phone number they want us to have on file? Do they want to do the gift now with you over the phone? Is this a pledge? Is it a pledge that you're dividing up? You're going to get all of that logistical information. Um, and then as you're hanging up, you're going to remind them of that offering that we have from our not-for-profit, again, whether that's coming to see, you know, a performing arts thing, or whether that's checking out something on our website, we think they might be interested in. I'm going to rem remind them of that. And then I'm going to say, you know what, and we'll check in with you tail end of the year, just see how everything's going, see if you've been able to check out some more information on us or, you know, come to see a show or whatnot. I, I do believe you can actually make these kind of calls twice a year. Yes. So, a um, couple of things. These are great. You'll find these at the nonprofitexchange.org. Go to the archives, past episodes. You'll get to see the transcript of all this stuff that just flew by your brain. Because um, every every bit of it is important, and you'll want to see it written so you can write a note. So, um, is there ever a place where you you know they gave five thousand last year? Is there ever a place you say because you gave that money, we were able to do X? The impact of the work is a, a results. Is there ever a place you want to refer to what that person made possible? Sure. I mean, I think there's lots of different places to do that. I mean, I think, you know, when you're at the beginning of the conversation, it's fine to say, you've been so great. You've been so generous in the past. Like, thank you. And usually, hopefully you should see if they have any kind of other involvement other than a donation. And also, I love that you came to this networking event that we had or, um, I love that you wrote that email to, you know, our leadership, you know, after when you had this reaction to why or something like it's, it's, you can always reference that. I think it's, I think it's good to reference it more at the beginning of the call um, than it is like when you're making the ask. I think, again, I'd like that ask to just feel as light 
And it's just like, what do you think is possible? So I'm actually front ending a lot of that information at the beginning of the call to tee myself up so that the, that the ask can feel more spontaneous and more free wielding. That, that would be my advice on that. There's two places I know people do things wrong. Um, and number one is they, the ask is sort of a circular, we continue to talk about the programs and we never get to that $5,000, $6,000 specificity. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we just keep going around. We don't get to the real ask. And then the second part, if we do, then we don't do the silence and we interrupt it, which messes the whole thing up. So any advice, or there are other things people do wrong. Um, sure. Any advice on how to correct those? Sure. I have all of that. I mean, what I tend to do is when I'm helping somebody craft their own arc is we come up with like maybe five or six talking points and to say on the particular call, let's stick to three. Let's stick to two or three, depending on a, what the person I'm training to fundraise is most passionate about, about the org and also actively listening to what the other person is saying to say, oh, you may actually be interested in this thing that's going on with us. So I tend to have like a list, help people develop a list and know that they're just going to stick to three tops and that knowing that then they sag and as I train them, that they sag into the last one is where we are in our fundraiser right now. So that way the fundraiser can feel like it's just another, because it is, it's just one more thing that's happening at our org right now. So um, that's how I'd suggest that. The ask, it just takes, it just takes practice. I mean, the way that I am really encouraging to be front-footed in that first 15 seconds of who you are, why you're calling, what that person's connection is to our org. I think the same thing about the ask. I think that the pause is integral to the process. So I just, if I was hearing somebody making calls, I would just say, that sounded so great. Stick to the ask, write yourself a post-it. I mean, I like love all that personal development stuff. So I've got all sorts of positive things that sit in front of me at my desk. But if you forget to hold for the silence, I've definitely worked with people who write themselves, whether it's a post-it or like a pretty little plaque that they keep with them where they go, but hold for the silence. I mean, it's, it's, it's challenging, but it's simple. Um, it's challenging to get into the habit, but I don't really have much more to offer other than do what you've got to do, like make yourself signs all over. It's, 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 it will come with practice. So people are all inspired now and they want to know, how do I find this mysterious Callahaney person? Um, so you, you, um, you work on your own, but you primarily mm -hmm. work with a firm called Donorly. It's yes. D-O-N-O-R-L-Y. Is it Donorly.com? Correct. Donorly.com. Um, this is a company uh, consulting firm that's been around, I think, like seven, eight years at this point, uh, founded by uh, my colleague, my esteemed colleague that I adore. Her name is Sandra Davis. Uh, she's the CEO, and she had worked all over the country at not-for-profits, operas, theaters. And what she noticed was that small to mid-sized nonprofits didn't have the same access to research as larger organizations. So that was the initial impetus for her uh, founding Donorly is how could she connect small to mid-range organizations with the research tools that the larger organizations have access to. So that's that's where we started, um, but now we um, do all sorts of things. So definitely research is a part of everything. Um, I work specifically on coaching what I call, like I said, outbound fundraising. And to me, that is any kind of fundraising that is initiated 
by the org by the fundraising organization as opposed to the potential donor. Uh, obviously, phone calls are a big part of that, but these phone calls they can work within the cadence of the rest of your communication with your organization. So that you know works with your emails um, and your direct mailing and your social media. And so those things can all work in tandem with one another. Uh, we also, if um, an organization is in a place where they're growing and they need some interim staffing, that's something that we do um, quite regularly, um, help with special events, like you know, just kind of get into the organization, work within whatever already exists with your org and figure out what we can offer to help you grow in the direction you want to grow. So it's like very customized what we do specifically to the particular organization, as opposed to this is how we do it. And you have to follow our way. We're going to work within your own CRM that you have, um, work within the leadership that you have, and just really figure out how to help you get to the next step. So yeah, donorly.com is the best way. Um, and you can definitely set up, you know, a complimentary co consultation with me and or with any of my um, colleagues. And I really love being there. If you want to learn more about me personally, you can go to uh, kelhaney.com. I have uh, a very early stages website talking about, I took down my theater director <laughs> website and I now have up a, a website that's like very bare bones, but talks about the kind of things we're talking about right now, the work that I do um, with the outbound fundraising. And this is great. It occurs to me there's a whole lot more to learn. And um, we could I could talk to you all day, but I got to get on the phone and make some fundraising calls. Yes, I like that you feel inspired. That's great. I <laughs> get out of my way. So <laughs> Kel Haney, um, this has just been brilliant. You've given us uh, a passion. I, I've gotten I've gotten the download of passion for this. Yeah. And, you know, it's not a passion for many of us. We're passionate about the work we do, mm -hmm. but we've got to put gas in the car. We got to put yes. funding in the bank so we can drive the car to where we're going. So this is this is brilliant. So as we end this really, really helpful set interview, what do you want to leave people with? A challenge, a thought, a tip? What do you want to leave people with uh, at the end of this interview? I think I want to say um, back to that idea of taking the ick out of the ask is like trust that you being you, whoever you are, is all you need to be on these in these conversations. And like, yes, get really clear, ask yourself the hard questions about what is it that you really love about this org? Why is this organization so important to you? Uh, why are you putting so much of your time and energy? Why should someone else um, do the same? Um, and so I, I think it's, it's okay to ask yourself those hard questions and then to just get into these conversations from a place that, like I said, is vulnerable, is candid, is curious about the person on the other end of the phone in this particular case. Wise, wise words. Kel Haney, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.